We're continuing on our way through our fall sermon series on Genesis, Living with Love and Loss, in which we're exploring the opening chapters of Genesis using the lens of the intertwining nature of love and loss. Today, we're starting on the story of Noah and the flood, and I am preaching twice in a row again so we get to do another two-parter. Today we will do the flood, and next week we will do the fresh start after the flood, the covenant, and the rainbow. I'm guessing that the story of Noah is familiar to many of you. You have heard this story before. Every time we talk about the book of Genesis, we need to remember that Genesis is a rich text that has been studied and preached on for hundreds, even thousands of years which means that for every story, there is a multiplicity of interpretations. The story of Noah is no exception. Noah and the flood has been put to many uses over the generations within the Jewish, Christian, and Muslim traditions. As early as 30 BCE, that's 30 years before Jesus, the Jewish-Greek philosophical thinker Philo treated this story as allegorical, interpreting it as being about the movement of the soul and the folly of striving for the goals of fame and pleasure. Ancient rabbis explored this story too, covering a wide range of opinions in exploring the text, including understanding it in terms of the Jewish people's sense of history and the relationship of the people with God. Early Christian writers who were orthodox in their beliefs saw elements of the story as typological, that is, as prefiguring people and events that were to come in the Christian scriptures. Some Christian Gnostics had their own relationship with the story for their own purposes that were ultimately deemed as heretical. And Muslim interpreters used the story to redefine biblical figures like Noah in terms of a specific Muslim point of view. There's a long history of interpretations of Noah. Over time, there have been many ways to read Noah, and that is part of the power of the scripture. All kinds of people, in many times and places, find something of value in studying this story. Obviously, this means that we have to narrow our focus to cover the relevance of Noah and the flood for us today in 20 minutes or less. So I have chosen specific verses using the lens of love and loss in order to focus the message once again on the question, what insight does this text give us about the human condition? Right now, our scripture reading will cover the first half of the story up to the flood, which means we will be mainly talking about loss. Next week, the scripture reading will cover the second half of the Noah story, and we will look more towards love. So take a breath, clear your mind, open your heart, and invite the Spirit in. Let's listen as the scripture is read. Today's reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, 11 through 14, 17 through 19, and in chapter 7, verses 16 through 24. 
The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth, and that every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil. The Lord regretted making human beings on the earth, and he was heartbroken. So the Lord said, I will wipe off of the land the human race that I've created. From human beings to livestock to the crawling things to the birds in the skies, because I regret I ever made them. But as for Noah, the Lord approved of him. In God's sight, the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God saw that the earth was corrupt because all creatures behaved corruptly on the earth. God said to Noah, The end has come for all creatures, since they have filled the earth with violence. I am now about to destroy them along with the earth. So make a wooden ark. Make the ark with nesting places, and cover it inside and out with tar. I am now bringing the floodwaters over the earth to destroy everything under the sky that breathes. Everything on earth is about to take its last breath. But I will set up my covenant with you. You will go into the ark together with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. From all living things, from all creatures, you are to bring a pair, male and female, into the ark with you to keep them alive. Male and female of every creature went in, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. The flood remained on the earth for forty days. The waters rose, lifted the ark, and it rode high above the earth. The waters rose and spread out over the earth. The ark floated on the surface of the waters. The waters rose even higher over the earth. They covered all of the highest mountains under the sky. The waters rose twenty-three feet high, covering the mountains. Every creature took its last breath. The things crawling on the ground, birds, livestock, wild animals, everything swarming on the ground, and every human being. Everything on dry land, with life's breath in its nostrils, died. God wiped away every living being that was on the fertile land, from human beings to livestock to crawling things to birds in the sky. They were wiped off the earth. Only Noah and those with him in the ark were left. The waters rose over the earth for 150 days. May God bless the reading and hearing of this word. Thinking about our scripture for the week and Noah brought to mind for me how much Noah's ark inspired playthings and art there is for children. When I was noodling around with researching this sermon, I went on Google to see what came up for Noah's Ark. And you get everything from play school, plastic Noah's Arks, to stuffed animals, to giant playground equipment. Martha Stewart even has a recipe for a sugar cookie Noah's Ark. It seems that in the popular imagination, this story is often treated as a sweet story for children about animals and rainbows. But I found it really jarring to jump from cookie animals to the biblical version, which is filled with the evil of humanity 
and an angry God who wants to wipe out his whole creation and start over again. Confronting the actual actual scriptural story is a lot. Let's break the story down. First, we hear that humanity is thoroughly, irredeemably evil and incapable of doing anything but making evil choices at every turn. Humanity is so evil that they've corrupted everything. The whole world is filled with violence and horror. And God, the creator of this world, is heartbroken by the mess, filled with regret, and wants to start over. Except, God thinks Noah's kind of okay. In one of the verses that I didn't include for today, Genesis 6, 9, it says that Noah was a, quote, righteous man, blameless in his generation. And the meaning of this is debatable, with some taking it to mean that this generation is so terrible that Noah only stands out as pretty good when compared to the rest of them. But among other generations, maybe Noah might not be so great. And if you read on ahead in Genesis, you'll see that Noah doesn't make the best choices with his new start after the flood. The way I read this is that Noah is great in a lot of ways, especially compared to everybody else. And he does listen to God when God tells him to build an ark, so he's definitely obedient, but not perfect. So Noah builds the ark, gets all the animals together, and brings his family along with them into the ark, and the door gets closed. Then the floodwaters rise, and every creature that lives on the land, including all the other people, drowns, and the water keeps on rising. And this is where we stopped our scripture reading for today, leaving Noah and his family all alone on the water. I opened with the question, what insight does this text give us about the human condition, particularly in light of the lens of love and loss? In terms of the human condition, I'd like for us to think about the verse that says, quote, humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth, and that every idea in their minds thought up, their minds thought up was always completely evil in terms of sin. Now, sin is such a Christian buzzword that using it causes misunderstandings, and so I always define it when I use it. Let's remember that sin is not a mere violation of a moral code or a deviation from conventional behavior or even doing something that is commonly considered bad. Jesus himself actually did all of those things. He violated moral codes and religious laws by healing on the Sabbath and hanging out with women and sinners. Instead, sin is the refusal to live in right relationship with God and others. Sin is the denial of God's grace and the refusal to live in just and peaceful community with one another as God calls us to do. Often, sin is treated as an issue with individual people, and it is. But from the story of Noah, we can see that the Bible also treats sin as a universal human condition. The whole of humanity finds itself in a state of captivity to sin. This universal captivity to sin isn't limited to Noah's story. Most of the biblical books, from the prophets to the Gospels, address systemic sin directly and repeatedly. 
Sin affects every aspect of human life and all human beings. Sin infects all of our systems, all of the ways we organize our lives together. And this can take many forms, but is sometimes called the will to power, seeking power over others, or using people or nature to serve your own ends. And sin can come in the form of a spirit of racial, national, or ethnic superiority, or of treating one gender as superior to another. Sin can also take the form of passivity, of acquiescing to the group ego or losing yourself in a group, as well as being apathetic towards injustice inflicted on those with less power. In the story of Noah, we hear that humanity's universal captivity to sin breaks God's heart. God has great love for humanity, but humanity has become so corrupt, fallen so far from God's intentions for their relationships with one another and God, that it hurts God. The root word in the biblical Hebrew means to hurt or to grieve or to cause pain. In the story, God has such a personal relationship with all of humanity that their bad behavior causes God pain and grief. And what follows on this sin and brokenheartedness is great destruction. Yes, as modern readers, many of us may wish to debate the theology of the story. Would a God of love really destroy everything? I don't know. And that is a worthwhile point of reflection and something that ultimately will remain a mystery. How I would go with the massive destruction in the story here is to say that it's possible that the original tellers of the story experienced a catastrophic environmental devastation that they interpreted as being punishment from God for corruption throughout the population. This story is several thousand years old, but it points us to a truth about the human condition. Systemic sin creates devastating losses to humanity and creation. Systemic sin creates devastating losses to humanity and to creation. What about an example of this outside of the Noah story? Well, there are so many examples of this that I don't even know where to start. So let's just pick one close to the story of Noah. Let's look at the environment and climate change. We're all participants in economic systems, transportation systems, food systems, and governmental systems that contribute to the destruction of the environment. Even the most righteous among us in this area, the Noahs, shall we say, are righteous only in comparison with the rest of us gas-guzzling, plastic-using energy hogs. So the environmental prophets among us have been crying out for decades about our need to change, but we collectively remain seemingly paralyzed while in some places fires come and droughts come, and in other places the waters literally rise around us. We can apply this framework of systemic sin and loss in many other areas of human life, looking at racism or colonialism or imperialism, uh, economic and other barriers to shelter, food, education, and health care. 
When we confront the whole story of Noah, rather than reducing it down to nursery paintings and sweet treats, we see the truth that systemic sin creates devastating loss to humanity and to creation. And as people of faith, we are uniquely positioned to witness to this biblical truth. Of course, as I said before, sin is a Christian buzzword and has often been wielded by Christians in ways contrary to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So sin must always be carefully defined. And in witnessing the destructive nature of systemic sin, we probably shouldn't run around like old-timey fire and brimstone preachers calling out everyone as a sinner on the road to destruction. Instead, as followers of Jesus, let us call ourselves out as sinners for breaking God's heart and repent and seek forgiveness and let us offer the good news of God's grace to other people. Yes, the good news is that Jesus offers us a path away from sin and towards grace, towards mercy, and towards living with love for God and our neighbors. Thanks be to God. Amen.